Hey guys, welcome back on today's episode of the ANA podcast. Today with us, we have Brad Hogg, who's one of the most prolific left-arm Chinaman spinners to have played the game. Brad has taken about 173 wickets in international cricket. Brad has also won two World Cups in 2003 and 2007 with Australia. And additionally, Brad has also won the Big Bash League with the Perth Scotchers. So welcome, uh, Brad Hogg. How are you feeling today? I'm going very well, Aaron. Thanks very much for having me on your podcast. Looking forward to it. And uh, <laughs> good to talk to someone over in Canada where the weather's starting to come into summer, where we're going into winter here. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Completely opposite parts of the world, completely opposite uh, weather going on. But um, yeah. speaking of that, uh, Brad, would you like to add anything to what Aryan mentioned? Anything else about yourself that uh, viewers should know about? Oh, not really. Um, you know, I, I've just been very fortunate in my life that I've been able to do something that I've loved for a living. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, there was ups and downs throughout the journey uh, when you when you pursue it, and there's always a lot of self doubt as well. But uh, I've just been fortunate that I was able to participate in two World Cups, uh, retire for three years, then come back and play in the T20 leagues, re- represent my country again at the mm-hmm. age of 41 and 44, I think it was. Uh, but also play a lot of IPL cricket and other T20 leagues around the world. And one thing that I really enjoy about IPL cricket, it's brought the cultures together. While we're playing international Mm -hmm. cricket uh, through that period, we'd never go into the change rooms and talk to each other. So you'd never really get to know um, the ins and outs of the Indian culture, Pakistan mm-hmm. culture, uh, Sri Lankan culture, because we never mm-hmm. interacted as, uh, as as well as we should have. And that's the great thing about T20 cricket. Mm-hmm. It's brought those cultures together. But also uh, there's, a, there's a negative to it as well. International cricket's going to suffer because mm-hmm. of the T20 leagues, because right. there's less time right. to uh, participate in those uh, types of competitions. Very well said. Very well said. I think that's that's spot on. With so much franchise cricket being played all around the world, we have IPL, PSL, even BBL, obviously, uh, even the Bangladesh Premier League, all these different leagues, even the CPL now. Uh, you have 100. an amalgamation. Oh, yeah, the 100 as well. Yeah. And uh, Vitality. I don't know why they bought the 100. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a massive amalgamation of all these different cultures coming together. And as you mentioned, I think prior to all these franchise uh, leagues going on, I don't think Australians or New Zealanders would have known that much about the nitty gritty, you know, factors of what goes on in uh, Indian cricket or like Indian culture itself, or maybe even, you know, other cultures in and around the world. So I think that's the cool thing. And obviously vice versa as well. And, um, and also a lot of friendships growing up, you know, with uh, international cricketers playing in all these leagues, like Virat Kohli, Glenn Maxwell, two, two good, good buddies spending some time with each other. So I think that's also another uh, positive of franchise cricket. But of course, on the downside, test cricket is, is taking a big hit. Players are choosing test cricket, uh, franchise cricket over test cricket. Uh, recently, Quinton de Kock retiring from test cricket at such a young age. That was a big bummer for, I think, a lot of us who know about his potential as a batsman. So what are your thoughts about that? Do you see um, test cricket going completely into the gutters in the next five to ten years? Or do you see... Um, a, a solid or strong rebellion from Test cricket, considering that the WTC World Test Championship has started to, you know, pick up recently. So, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, the way that it's going now, I can see Test cricket being hit very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the ICC and the cricket boards around the world have to get together and go, what do we actually want to achieve? from the game of cricket because we've got four competitions now or even five competitions if you put the T10 in there. So you've got the 100, the T20s, the one-dayers and and test cricket. So um, there's just way too much cricket being played and there's so much pressure on players going from a test test match then going into a T20 game because Mm – one, you need endurance. The other, you need power games. And it's more on the fast bowlers than the fast bowlers. So you've got to adjust there. So it's it's not just about whether it's going to survive. It's about how do you keep players on the park, especially your most valuable assets, your, your fast bowlers. Because mm-hmm. it's pretty easy for a spinner and a batsman to adjust because mm-hmm. you, you don't need that extra power or um, step it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so... For me, I think we've really got to sit and uh, sit down and look at 
the calendar, the next five, and then you have five associate teams fighting it off to be able to challenge mm-hmm. uh, at the end of a two-year period um, the teams in that second division. And then after the two-year t- um, period, the second division can challenge the bottom two teams of the top teams uh, to right. uh, play. To replace them, in, basically. Yeah, to replace them. So mm-hmm. if you want to concentrate on test cricket, well, you're going to stay at the top all the time. But if you're one of those teams that don't have the finances, you might be able to sit there and go, right, we'll concentrate on World, uh, World Cups or white ball cricket with the World Cups and our T20 franchise. So then you give options to uh, nations of how they want to develop their game of cricket. Because at the present moment, if I'm a kid watching it, I'm seeing T20 and I'm seeing test matches. And the, the idea of T20 cricket was to get people that weren't involved or d- didn't follow test cricket into the game. And right. the more people we got, the more we, we more moving away from we it. had to get into test cricket. And I don't think that's working. I think it's more the p- people are just so, uh, what do you call it? Time poor at the moment. They love their mm-hmm. T20 cricket. It's short and sharp in and out. And uh, that's the way they want to play the game as well. Right. Very well said. Very well said. I think that's literally how uh, the cricket world is poised at the moment, unfortunately. But um, speaking of that, uh, how did you, how did it all start for you with cricket uh, as a young, you know, uh, left arm China man? Did it all start with uh, spin bowling or maybe you start off as a batsman or a pace bowler? Uh, well, it was very interesting. Uh, I grew up uh, in a country area here in Australia, so your Canadian mm-hmm. friends might be able to understand the uh, the outback. Mm-hmm. So we had about 3,000 acres on the farm. Wow. Uh, from the day I could crawl, apparently I had a bat and ball in my hand uh, <laughs> and I just wanted to play cricket. My dad played cricket. Uh, he was known as the Bradman of the uh, Bush uh, or in our uh, association. So I'd be following him to play cricket. Uh, at the age of 12, everyone in the association or my country town knew that I wanted to play test cricket. So they had a rule that I could play for any team that's short on the weekend in the men's competition. So I was exposed to men's cricket at the age of 12. I went up to Perth uh, at the age of 16 as an uh, batting all-rounder so I bowled medium pace so I'd open the bowling with a bit of swing bowling and then bat I got in the state team um, so I was opening uh, A-grade cricket moving on from the from the juniors into grade cricket I got in the state team as a batsman and the first time I ever bowled a leg spinner was when we went to Sydney for my first game, and that was in 1994, where they asked me to, uh, Tony Mann asked me to bowl some left arm Chinamans in the nets. And I said, well, How do you do that? So I bowled <laughs> a few to uh, Jeffrey Marsh, and then Damien Martin came in the nets and he said, I'll bowl a Rogan to Marta. You're landing them pretty well. Let's try and bowl a Rogan. Mm-hmm. So, how do we do that? So I'm flicking a few to Tony Mann and bowled two Rogans to Damien Martin, land them, oh. beat the outside edge, and he said, You better stick with that. So I worked my backside off for the next two years. And uh, then I'm playing test cricket for Australia as a leg spinner in 1996. So I I hadn't even been bowling them for uh, probably two years. So, um, but when when, when I look at that, everyone uh, everyone says, oh, that must have been um, awesome. Not too many people can change a skill like Mm -hmm. uh, bowling medium pace and leg spin. Exactly. Within two years and play for Australia. But I, t- I take it back to when I was a junior, we'd go to holidays in, in Mandurah on the beach and there'll be kids around there and I'd try to keep them involved in cricket. So I'd right. bowl to them So and I, I'd land the ball in different areas so that they could play different shots and they, they got engaged and enjoyed the game. And right. I just noticed I'll, I'll probably feel as though being able to adjust where I wanted to pitch the ball helped me with uh, that transition to leg spin bowling. Right. So it's it's a pretty interesting story. Absolutely. Um, and, and as I said, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I wouldn't have made it as a out-and-out batter. Uh, but at the end of the day, I ended up representing Australia as a bowling all-rounder. So I'm very fortunate with that. North. It's a beautiful I, story. I mean, I could have extended that, but uh, that was a short and uh, short and sharp of it. So, and I'll, I'll go back to that age of twelve. I'll tell you a little uh, story about that. I remember uh, getting a phone call on a Friday night, and mm-hmm. uh, David Kane was the captain of my dad's team, Tawonga, and uh, he rings me up. He goes, 
Brad, are you right for tomorrow? We're short. And I said, yes, I'm right. And I yelled out to dad, I'm playing with you tomorrow. Dad was my hero. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The next morning we got up and we went and fed some sheep and uh, by about 11 o'clock uh, we get back and we're just having a quick bite to eat and I'm putting my bag in the back of the ute with him, mm-hmm. uh, with his bag and then I'm jumping in and I was, I was in the ute for about half an hour sitting there and I could hardly, I was that small, I could hardly see over the dashboard <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Dad eventually got in there and it's a half an hour drive to Boddington who we were playing, uh, the, the rival town. And uh, on the way, I'm going, oh, this Lindsay Neems, what is he bowl? In swingers, out swingers, and uh, how are we going to get Mr. Sherry out? And uh, all this I was going through, and Dad was just about to say, look, <laughs> had enough of this. Just I want a bit of peace and quiet before we get the game. Mm-hmm. We get to the game, we're sitting under some gum trees, a few whiskeys around. We're batting first, and I'm batting nine, so it's a two-day <laughs> game. And uh, we get to tea time. I still haven't batted. About 30 minutes after tea, it's my time to pad up. Wicket fours, I'm walking out and I'm facing Lindsay Neems, the fastest bowler in the competition. Mm-hmm. So I'm facing up and my head's just above the stumps on that, that on that small. <laughs> anyway, he comes in, the ball goes straight past the nostrils. I am panicking. I've never faced anything this quick in my life. I turn around to the uh, to my teammates in mm-hmm. under the gum tree. And my two uncles and my dad were sitting there and my uncle Peter yells out and says, Brad, if you want to play test cricket for Australia, you better get behind the next one or take those pads off, get back home and get babysit by your mother. And uh, anyway, (laughs) so there was no respite from my teammates. Lindsay Neems comes in, bowls another ball, same delivery. I'll get back and across and push it out, push it out to cover. Mm -hmm. And that was my, uh, my pathway, my start. My journey of uh, getting the baggy green. The baggy green. So there it is. Wow. Yeah. That's the baggy green. Wow. Yeah. So I was, I was brought up, I was, I was very lucky on the farm as well. The shearers would come out shearing sheep. And uh, when they had morning smoko, that's morning tea, mm-hmm. uh, lunch and afternoon smoko, um, they, they would all play cricket with me in the shearing shed as well. So uh, I was very lucky, uh, very lucky with the help that I got uh, with all the people around my cricket association in the town of Williams, Tawonga and Bonington and Wandering um, and the Upper Great Southern. I've just been very lucky with the support I've had. Right. Um, just, to, just to ask another uh, question, uh, you mentioned how you made the switch from being a medium pace to a leg spinner, right? So was that kind of like a natural talent that you had, which is undiscovered or was it something that like you were good at it, good at it, and then you had to build, mm. build on it over time. And how much how much did the uh, you mentioned that at a young age when you were used to go to the beach with the family and friends and things, you used to bowl to younger kids, right? And you used to try to get the ball to pitch in different places and turn in different uh, areas so that they can play more and explore more with the game. So how much of an impact did that have on your ability to transition from medium pace to to leg spin? Did that really give you a base, or was it more of a natural? wrist positioning that uh, helped you yeah i, I don't know it, it just happened uh it, it, just, it happened. just happened <laughs> i got asked to do it and um and when uh i'm an excitable character mm-hmm. and uh i don't i didn't want to just play cricket uh as a batsman i wanted to be part of it and, and bowl as well and i just thought right well i'm a small I'm not going to get opportunities to bowl medium pace mm-hmm. at uh, first class level. Right. And this could be the option for me to um, bowl more in first class level. Mm-hmm. I, t- I did dabble with left arm off spin, but I couldn't get the wrist over to right. turn the ball. They're all undercutters. And over here in Australia, that was a waste of time. So this was my option to uh, be part of the bowling group. And once I got a taste of it, and I bowled one over that year in the final Shield match. Um, that winter, just about every hour I could, I was down the nets. So I'd, I'd be working, um, and when I when it was lunchtime, I'd have a quick roll and just straight to the nets, bowl a few for half an hour, and I'd have cones out. Um, there, it's there in the ball places. Yeah, yep, to land it but the the first thing i was very lucky i had peter carlstein and john tricos helping me out peter carlstein youngest south african uh, test cricketer um and john tricos 
played for South Africa and uh, Rhodesia, that's Zimbabwe now, as a okay. right-arm off spinner. And oh, he's wow. got the longest uh, longest break between uh, test matches. I think oh, it's wow. 17 years or something. So, <laughs> wow. Um, a fantastic guy. But they've just made me bowl leg spinners and they wouldn't let me bowl any variations until, until you I master the leg spinner. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mastered the leg spinner, yeah. And I could bowl all the variations straight away, the flipper and everything like that. I, I don't yeah. know why. It just, just happened. <laughs> um, and I think the secret with that, with any youngster out there that wants to bowl leg spin, master the leg spinner first. And mm-hmm. I try and tell all the kids, I want you to bowl uh, the majority of your deliveries out in the middle, leg spin, and try and work the batsman over with your leg spinner because if you pick up wickets and keep pressure with your leg spinner, then all of a sudden your variations are just going to be so much more, more volatile right. when you uh, when you play a lot higher levels. So for me, right. that's, that's the transition of it, but it was just so much. I wouldn't say it's hard work. Uh, it was just enjoyable, the journey of it. Because right. um, there, were, there were times I'd rock up to the nets and just go, "What am I doing? I, you know, I've, I, I can't keep doing this." Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Because you, you, you know, when you when you just keep repeating and repeating and doing the same thing, it um, feels like you're going nowhere at some point. Yeah, some point. And uh, I think that's the that's the thing with the journey. Those hard moments that you just get through where you're you're not really inspired to do it. Um, but you know that your goal's here and when you get there, you're just going to have so much reward. Uh, that, that's just the enjoyable thing of just pushing yourself through those hard times. And it's, mm. a, it's like you two studying. There's moments where you get home and you go, I don't want to look at these books. Yeah. You, have yeah. you have to on your yeah, journey. Yeah. And I know, I know what it's like going through st- uh, study because I did accounting and marketing while I was playing cricket. Oh, so wow. I did my whole degree on a plane. But again, because I've got such a distractible uh, character in me, mm-hmm. that study helped me take my focus off cricket when we're away because we had so much downtime. So right. uh, you, you've got to understand yourself. You've got to understand where you want to go. And you've, I think the question that you've got to ask yourself when you want something is what are you willing to sacrifice to be able to achieve it? So mm-hmm. one – Uh, those times that I didn't want to go down a train or I wasn't enthused or motivated to go down a training, I had to go down there. So I made myself go down there because Mm -hmm. if things weren't going right in the middle, uh, I had that small bit of challenge in the nets to, to get me over those, that tough period. Uh, I didn't drink. Um, I, I, so socially, uh, I limited myself going out socially, so that played havoc. So that was another sacrifice um, that I had. And Christmas Day, so I, I try to keep my fitness up because I knew I had to be fitter than everyone else. Mm-hmm. On Christmas Day, I'd do something physically. I'd go for a run. Uh, I'd have a quick bowl because I knew most others wouldn't do that. So that, that was sacrifices, yeah. some of the sacrifices I was prepared to make. Yeah. So it's, it's like having that discipline and staying true to what 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 your goals are made made you like take that big step towards playing for Australia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, oh, uh, yeah, did you... it did. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But there, there, there's again um, with those sacrifices, there's there's a lot of negative to it as well. Yeah. Uh, family time, friendships uh, get tested. And at the end of the day, those friends who aren't behind you, who aren't with you on the journey, um, are not worth being uh, by your side, in a mm-hmm. sense, because you support them uh, as they support you. So I think there was a few sacrifices on that. A lot of people um, had to sacrifice their time with me for, for that particular journey. And and the other the other negative with it is sometimes you become self-centered with it. Um, because you're so hyper-focused on achieving that big big goal. And anyone who has uh, massive or uh, has that journey where they succeed at a higher level, there there is a fair bit of self-centeredness in it. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, you've got to be careful with that because that's a challenge as well. Right, yeah. You might end up uh, losing important relationships or friendships in your life that, would have remained the same 
if you weren't chasing this bigger visionary goal. So yeah, I think that's also very important. And um, think, mm, yeah, go on that's a about. hard thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a hard thing. Just trying to keep your ego in check. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. In a, in a sense, and I, I don't see that. I don't say that lightly. Um, there were times that I got ahead of myself. And I was like, what are you doing, Brad? What are you doing? Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and when when I got into that phase, my performances went down. Um, so, and it was good, good. I'd go back to my club team here in Perth and I'd walk into the change rooms. They'd treat, treat me like they tra- treated me when I was an 18-year-old. Right. Um, and if they thought I was ahead of myself, that would bring me back down to earth very quickly. So I was very lucky in, the, in that regard that I had those type of people around me. And it's the same when I went, uh, I go back down to Williams, uh, my hometown. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Tawonga. Tawonga is just a small little, um, it's a tin shed and an oval just outside of Williams. But if I go back right. down to Williams where all my relatives are, uh, my, my friends from primary school and that, and they will know if I've got the ego on or not. And if I've got the ego on, they will give it to me straight away. And that's what I love about country life. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they all know you in and out. Right. So they know when yeah. you're, when you have the ego on and when it's off. So yeah, that's, that's really, that's a very important. Um, and uh, speaking of your debut. So when did you end up getting your, your test debut and when did you get the baggy green? Which year was that in? <laughs> that was 1996. Um, I remember it. I remember getting the baggy green. So we're going over to Sri Lanka to play in some one days uh, against Sri Lanka, Zimbabwe. I think there might've been another team over there. India, India were there as well. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to India to play a one-off test match. And um, uh, who, who else were we playing? South Africa in the one day series. Mm-hmm. The bag from Cricket Australia rocks up to my house. So the delivery boys brought the bag. It's massive. It's full. I open it up, unzip it. There's sweaters on the top, one-day uniforms on there, helmets over on the right side. So I've grabbed my helmet. There it is. So I've got my helmet. And uh, you've got to put the grill on the helmet. Mm-hmm. So I used to wear the the um, temple guards. Right, um, right. But I've, I've put the helmet together and I've gone in the bathroom, put the helmet on. Mm-hmm. imagining that I'm playing the West Indies because we used to get belted by the West Indies when they had the fast bowling quartet of Marshall, mm-hmm. uh, Andy Roberts, right, um, right, Joel right, Garner. So I'm ducking and weaving in the bathroom. My kids are looking at me. What a, what and my wife are going, what, uh, what are you doing? What do you want? And uh, anyway, I take the helmet off and uh, put it back in the bag. And there was a white floppy hat there. And then all of a sudden down the bottom of the bag was this, Baggy green. So wow. that's how I got the baggy green. Um, I think I was one of the last where uh, it got delivered like that, where mm-hmm. you didn't get, uh, get you didn't it. Yeah, get it on your day, you did. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I got that. and uh, But there was a message on there. Uh, you don't get to keep it unless you play the test match over in India. Oh, so we were wow. over in India. And it was going to um, – Shane Warne injured himself – and I was over there to be the understudy to Shane Warne. So they weren't expecting me to play, but I might play um, because I'd only been bowling it for two years. So Shane Warne's injured. So they bring this McIntyre guy over from South Australia, a very mm-hmm. good bowler, Peter McIntyre, and uh, he's playing. So uh, in the 11, they're deciding whether to play Jason Gillespie or myself. And we're sitting there um, about five minutes before the toss of the coin. We're in a group and they say, look, we think it's going to be a spin, uh, spinning wicket, so we have to play hoggy. Yeah, righty-o, thanks for, thanks for that. <laughs> and uh, there was guys like Damien Fleming, Stuart Law, uh, that didn't get a game, and they just looking at me going, this guy's only played bowled leg spin for virtually one year, and he's got a game playing for Australia as a spinner. So the, there was a bit of doubt there with with all that. So that's, that's how it all started. Got the call up five minutes before a toss of a coin. Wow. Went out there. Um well, this is, this is really where it gets interesting. So when we're bowling, I'm bowling to Sarah Gungulli. Oh, so, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've decided to come around the wicket. Mark Taylor, the captain, comes up to me and goes, Hoggy, why coming around the wicket? I said, oh, I'll just mm-hmm. uh, change up the line, you know, do something different. He goes, what are your plans? Uh, <laughs> put on a good length. 
uh, yeah, but how are you going to get him out? And I said, uh, Mark, I've only been bowling these for a year. I've got no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I basically said that to Mark Taylor. And he goes, okay, I'm going to help you out. And full credit to Mark Taylor. We sat there, mm-hmm. got, a, uh, got a plan together. So we wanted him to sweep hard in front of square. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just had someone just slightly behind square and a 45. Okay. And the first ball around the wicket, Ganguly straight down the wicket, over mid on for six. And uh, Mark Taylor's out mid on. I said, oh, the plan's working pretty well right now. <laughs> and he goes, just stick with it. Stick with it. The next mm-hmm. ball, um, he takes the bait, tries to hit me for uh, the sweep shot. And uh, top edge gets caught out first slip. Mark Wall has to run about 20 metres to catch it. But I got Ganguly out of there. And, you know, these are the things you might not understand or you might not know what you're doing. And this this can help you and uh, everyone that's listening to the podcast, when you go mm-hmm. into a new role or a new job, uh, you're employed. Don't be scared to go up to the the manager and go, mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing here. Because if you don't ask those questions, uh, you're going to be lost. And if I didn't ask that question with uh, to Mark Taylor uh, right there and wasn't honest with him, um, you know, we could have got blown out of the water. So he was prepared right. to help me with game plans moving forward and full credit to him. He just handled that quite well. I learned so much within five minutes of myself and uh, the game of cricket and the art of leg spin with Mark Taylor by opening up like that. Wow. And um, did you, you must've enjoyed right playing under his captaincy. Yeah, I, do, I only played under him for uh, one game and uh, six, one days as well. One test match and, uh, and six, one days. And for me, I think, I'd, I'd have to say that um, I don't, no, I'm, I'm not going to go down that path because uh, Ricky Ponting was just a wonderful captain as well. Mm-hmm. Steve Wall was a sensational um, leader and Mark, Mark Taylor. So I was, I was very fortunate that I played under uh, three fantastic captains mm-hmm. uh, playing for Australia. And I, and I look back at it too. There, there are so many mistakes I made with, uh, with Tom Moody, the captain here in WA early on in my right. career. Uh, as I said, I was an excitable uh, person. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they were trying to instruct me, they would say five words and I'd go, all right, I've got it now. And I'd, I'd want to get in there right. and do it. And they've still right. got another two minutes of instruction to give me. So right. I, I was always wanting to do something and I, I, I couldn't sit down and listen. So, um, yeah, so I was very lucky that I had the support of, of strong leaders who – understood me in a way and I didn't realize I I haven't realized until the last couple of years looking back on my career and writing the book how fortunate I was uh with my character that um they put up with so much uh, on the sideline and when I say so much I was I wasn't destructive but I'd be one where I'd walk along and um uh so we'd be going to a function and my suit would be creased. And half an hour before that, I'm trying to iron my suit before we go into the function. So right. just little things like that where team managers, captains, and that just said, right, that's a bad part of hoggy. All right, we're just going to have to put up with that because the, the other parts offer so much. So it's just understanding your staff when you're a leader and uh, understanding yourself what makes you strong and what makes you weak and try and try and work on your strength, but just tighten up your weaknesses. Don't concentrate too much on your weaknesses. Right. That's a, that's a powerful message. Very powerful message. And uh, speaking of that time period, uh, playing under Ricky Ponting, playing under Steve Waugh, how was it like being a part of the golden era of Australian cricket? Must've felt uh, very powerful, right? Because you've, Australia was bashing each, each international team left, right and center. And they were at the top of world cricket in all formats. So it must've felt been a moment of pride for you. Uh, yeah, it, it was a moment of pride and every, everyone uh, sort of says, oh, if you're in a different era, it would have been different. But, <laughs> you know, you play along the great Shane Warne, you had Stuart McGill there. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're, you're, you're challenging your skills. Uh, and, you know, to get, in that, to get in that side in front of those two, two particular mm-hmm. players in the one-day side was, was a huge achievement. And to play alongside 
uh, both of them at international level, uh, you, you couldn't ask for anything more. So I, yeah. I wouldn't want to change. Uh, I wouldn't want to change those opportunities for an easier ride. It was it was a tough ride, but it, such a a wonderful era to be in. Our shield shield competition was probably tougher than some of the international games that we played. We just we're just in a in, in a golden era, mm-hmm. but I think you look at that, and um, there, there's been a lot of talk about John Buchanan as as the coach, and uh, there's been a, a bit of negative press. But uh, I, I think John Buchanan played a huge role in it because you had dominant players who uh, were in a team that were so far ahead of most other teams around the world, and mm-hmm. he had to keep all those players in check. And he had to keep challenging those players. And he'd throw – I I still remember we were sitting in a meeting and he goes, guys, we could be the first one to make 400 in a one-day game. Right. And uh, I remember one of the players getting up, John, don't be so stupid, you know. And um, (laughs) But we we had that relationship with John and everything like that. It it was like you're sitting around a round table and Mm -hmm. it it wasn't – disrespectful or anything and John goes all right I'll just leave it with that and mm-hmm. just put some uh, sheets of paper out underneath the the, t- um, um, the doors of our mm-hmm. hotel and all of a sudden two weeks later we we can we can do this and we did and uh, mm-hmm. we did that against South Africa and we right. held the record for about two hours but you know that that we're just John Buchanan was a perfect man to manage and, and coach the team at, at, at that point. Um, and we, we had the perfect captains and everyone was in there for the course. Uh, it was just a well-oiled unit. We all, we all got on um, and, and just gelled together. It was, it was very fortunate uh, to be there. Um, there was something there that uh, alluded my, my, my mind there. I, th- I think, yeah, when we looked at it, when we we're playing World Cups, we we're playing test matches. The, the way we we approached it is that we keep playing to our level. Mm-hmm. Opposition teams have to play out of their skin to beat us. So that's the bar. We're setting the bar. Opposition teams uh, had to beat us. And I think the the only team that was any close uh, was close to us through that period was probably India. But the 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 thing that we had ahead of India was mm-hmm. we'll fitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, that allowed us to be better fielders, right? And would would able to run harder between the wickets, and would uh, would be able to get more out of our bodies when we were bowling. So it was right. more of a fitness factor that held us ahead of India. And now that Virat Kohli uh, changed that perspective mm-hmm. of Indian yeah. cricket and focused on the fitness, or had a heavier focus on fitness. It's no wonder why India are where they are now and uh, the, the team to beat. Speaking of that, actually, it's a good point that you brought up. You know how within that 15, 10, 15 year span, Australia was able to capitalize on the form that they had and they won three World Cups. Yeah. Speaking of that, what do you think has gone wrong uh, in the last decade or so for India? Because they've had a good team, good fitness levels, but in the crunch moments, they've collapsed. Oh, look, I, I, yeah, but I, th- I think when you look at it and w- when you look at success, everyone looks at titles and trophies and so forth. Um, I think you look at consistency. And the, the, right. team, that, the team that I really respect, um, uh, I'll, I'll get back to that question because you've just mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm, thrown something, uh, you've thrown a bit of a curveball there. Through that particular <laughs> period, I respected South Africa because – Right. Um, they, they had to change their process. They're trying to evolve, uh, n- not just with cricket, but as a culture and include mm-hmm. inclusiveness. Mm-hmm. So um, having to play for players of colour in their team while we were playing and did they have the ability or didn't they have the ability? Sometimes they had to carry players to achieve mm-hmm. those goals. Right. And I, I commend them on that. And the way that they they conducted themselves and the way that they performed uh, out in the middle, they've played above expectations. Um, and without those restrictions, they, they, yeah, could they could have, have won a title. They could have won many, many titles. Yeah, many titles. Exactly right. But what they've done uh, or what they've tried to do for society is more credible 
than winning a title. title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we've, you know, that that's the thing about sport is, is that community aspect of it and making communities gel. And, and with India, I, I just think um, with those final moments, it's those pressure moments. They mm-hmm. haven't done it consistently enough. Uh, 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 in one, once you get to the second one, all of a sudden you have that belief, and then the opposition, uh, when they're in that position to take you on, but they always think, oh, there's an MS Dhoni there, or a Virat Kohli's going to carry them over. With you know, they start to panic, and it was the same when teams played us. We'll beatable, but because mm-hmm. we had that reputation and that belief. Opposition teams faltered under that false pretense that we're better than what we were. Right. So, right. Yeah, it's, it's about that persona that you uh, you create on the field against opposition teams, and I, I think that's probably the, the the small ingredients that's missing. Mm-hmm. We finally got to the answer, but yeah, no, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, but full credit to Virat Kohli. I just think he's captained the team so well. He's played a lot more cricket than anyone else over the last couple of years. That's why mm. his form's uh, dropped off. But also uh, with his mindset and uh, not or having to change from a captain to becoming a player now, mm-hmm. I, I think there's so much going on with Virat Kohli's life, being in bubbles, um, playing more games than anyone else, starting a family. Uh, and in that bio life, it's it's taking away that family time as well, that precious mm-hmm. family time. It, but you might be in a bubble with your family, but it's not that uh, solid family time where you can go outside and you can actually do things with your, your kids. Right. You, you're actually locked up. So um, all your resources, uh, all your relaxation is just is taken away. So yeah. he's, he's got no time just to free his mind and, and meditate. Right, right. I think so. I think so. Like at the start, you mentioned that how uh, you know when when you were studying for accounting and marketing, like that would take your mind off cricket, right? And then there would be times when like, uh, like when you would go to bowl, bowl like your form uh would drop because like of the, because usually you'd be on a higher ego level, uh, if I were to say that. Uh, so I think so a similar kind of thing has happened to Kohli. He's not been able to take like time off because, like, like you mentioned, because of the bio bubble. So that's what has mentally affected his game. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it, it's a lesson for everyone out there. Um, when when you're in situations where things aren't going right, you, you've you sort of you've got to adapt. And mm-hmm. I think. What I'm seeing with Virat Kohli through the IPL and with his uh, with his international career over the last couple of years, there's mm-hmm. a little bit of an adrenaline adrenaline rush where you can see right he's going to come out and take on the yeah. opposition, and then there's that faked adrenaline rush. So what I'm saying there is our psychologist uh, Phil Johnsey uh, mm-hmm. here in Australia while we're going through that that uh, strong period of 10 years, 20, 15 years, here's another uh, ingredient to it because he did personality tests with us all. Um, but he sat down with everyone and goes, what's your plan A and what's your plan Z? So your plan A is when you are focused and you are on song. Your plan Z is when things aren't going right and you're thinking about the negative. So it's always training yourself how to get into plan A uh, right. so that you're at your best. And sometimes you've got to fake it. So, I, um, and I can see Verrett Coley trying to fake uh, to get into his plan A right. uh, every now and then now. And that's because there's been so much pressure and he's just been worn down because of the amount of cricket and because of being in bio bubbles. And we all we, we all have those, those down times. And I, I'll give you an example with me. My plan A when I was bowling, I've got to be buzzing. I've got to be running. If you saw me running to the umpire, handing my hat, you know I was on song. I'm ready right. to go. But if you saw me walking to the umpire and handing the hat, you knew that I was in a negative mindset and I was doubting myself. Right. So I always knew uh, that there were two things. I always knew I was going to be bowling in the seventh over. Um, so with two overs before, I'd start be jeering myself up. If, if I'm playing against a, a bowling against Kevin Peterson or a Glenn Maxwell, who were my nemesis, 
um, who I really doubted myself against. I started to fake in my body, right, I'm looking forward to this contest. I'm going to get them out, you know, and all this energy would come and I'd run to the umpire faking it. Um, but, you know, that helped me get over over the situation. The other thing for me was every now and then I'd get the ball in the power play overs and because I didn't have time to think about it, all of a sudden there was that excitement. I'm bowling, I'm bowling. So I'd run right. in there and, and bowl. So <laughs> – for me, uh, if I thought, if I was thinking too much about who I was bowling against, creating doubt, then I had to fake it running to the umpire for the seventh over. Right. Um, generally, I'd be just comfortable, right, I'm bowling seventh over, field's going to be out, bang, I was in my shoes. But when it was Maxwell and Peterson, I overthought it, so I had to fake it. And just being told, right, you're bowling this over, I didn't have time to think about it, right. I was just excited that I was bowling. So my plan A was always on there. It was right. only when I had time to think about opposition players that I was doubting myself against that I was in plan Z, not plan A. And I think wow. that's that can help anyone out there. You go into a meeting, you go in and you're going for your job interview. You're going to panic. If, if you've just come out of uni, you're, you're going for a job that you want. What's going to separate you from everyone else not being able to okay, pay so you staying calm yeah yep yeah. so you 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 have that impact and be honest with them say bang these are my strengths these are my weaknesses this is what i bring to the table but understand their culture as well and try and find that point of difference where you're going to make a difference to the team not so much the organization the team that you're working in and if you can uh, relay that to the the job interview, um, you're going to be so far ahead of everyone else because it's what right. you bring to the table and what you're willing to learn from them. So you're adding something, but you're also going, right, well, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not good at the, in these particular areas. These are my weaknesses, but I'd love you to help me out here uh, because I'm bringing all this to the table and right. you're honest and upfront and, you know, they're helping you out there. They're making an investment in you. Mm -hmm. I think that description that you just gave us is a very, it exemplifies your relationship in, with the Australian team and how you were very excitable and how, you know, when they used to give you instructions, it was just, it, it would be for two to three minutes, but you would listen for half and half a half a minute and then run into bowling. Right. So it's, it's kind of similar to that situation where they saw all this positive in you but they knew that, you know, sometimes you might not pay, pay too much attention to detail. And they knew that that was a negative that you brought to the table. And then you guys struck yeah. that balance in between to make it all work, you know? So I think that's a, a good way of uh, comparing both of those situations. Yeah. Actually, I, I, I'll, I'll share a, seri um, a story with you. John Buchanan, 2007 World Cup. Mm -hmm. Just leading into the World Cup, I'd played seven games. I hardly got a wicket and I'd been belted all over the park. We're in St. Vincent training and I was going through a big doubt because when, when, I, when I was in that Australian team in the 2003 World Cup with Warnie not there, I was the weakest link in the team. So I always said, right, I'm bowling against this best batsman. If I nail this best batsman, the opposition are going to start getting frustrated because they should be getting on top of me. So I, I had that attitude. And in two, 2007, I started to panic because I hadn't had a good lead up to it. And uh, I was in the nets. We had the first, so we were in two groups to go to training and I was in the first group. The bus from the first group was about to go back to the hotel. I'm out there still bowling. John Buchanan takes me across to the um, side and sits me down. And th this is really, this is really good leadership. He says, Hoggy, right, you're going to have to listen to me here. I know you're distracted and you want to get over there and bowl in the nets because things aren't working. Just sit down and listen to me. You won't be bowling again today. You're going to go home. We've got the warm-up game against England tomorrow and you're just going to go home and not think about it. We're going to have to try and distract you. So um, Jock Campbell's going to take you on your fitness run, whatnot. You're going to be very active this Arvo. But you've overtrained. You're bowling well. It's just your mindset. 
you're in plan Z at the moment, you're not in plan A. Okay, so tonight, if you're doubting yourself, just come, have a chat with us, we'll play cards or whatever. And he, he was taking it on where I was going overboard, I was getting out of control, he pulled me aside, sat me down, and he also said, you know, just with your energy here, the negative energy, it's not you with what you bring to the team, okay? You're just going into that selfish mode at the moment because you're not performing, right? What can you bring to the team tomorrow? That's the other thing that I want you to think about as well. Okay, okay. And uh, so went, went away, thought about it, was distracted doing physical activity all afternoon. And um, then the next morning, I woke up. Right. What am I going to do? Going to uh, Ian Bell from England. Oh, wow. And Ricky Ponning's there. And I said, Punner, just bring the mid on up. Belly will try and go over mid on here. And uh, I'll get him out here. I'll get him out stumped. And I brought him up, sure enough, that ball, belly out stumped. Just because John Buchanan sat me down, explained to me that I'm distracted, explained to me that I needed to listen here and you need to take time and uh, said, what can you do for the team? Because that's when I play my best rather than you're in that selfish mode. Because he took the time to, to do that and then he distracted me in the afternoon and then I woke up the next morning. What can I do for the team? All of a sudden, bang, I was on song. Everything clicked. Everything and, clicked automatically. Yep. Everything just turned around. And it's just simply because the leader sat down and, and worked out the issues away from the game. So, again, again this could be an example with um, your mates that are studying. Um, mm -hmm. if, if their marks are going down or in your workplace, if someone's not, doing their role it it might not be it's no point in just going straight to the fact that you've got to study mate you're not doing this find out what's actually happening away from the workplace away from the study place because there could be something there that's distracting them something with family issues uh financial issues um relationship issues mm, yeah, whole wide range that could be anything. distracting them and if you get to know them in that regard then all of a sudden you can help those issues and then they come to work in a better frame of mind because they mm -hmm. know that you've got your back and also you've given them the re resources to help um, those other scenarios. I think there was another, there was another uh, incident in 2004 over in um, the West Indies. You don't mind if I tell you another no, story? No, of course. Yeah, go for it. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, we want to know yeah. more. This is where John Buchanan was was brilliant. He did it with everyone. So I woke up for breakfast and we've got training in about an hour's time. We've got to get on the bus for an hour's time. And in a breakfast, I'm going, how are you going, boys? You know, just the, the, the energy um, that I always have. Come on, looking forward to today. I go over and get my, uh, my eggs and toast and bacon, whatever I was having for breakfast. And I'll sit down and uh, John goes, so, Hoggy, um, What's wrong with you? What's, you know, something's uh, upset you. I said, nothing's upset me, John. No, I'm all okay, mate. Let's get down to training. I can't wait to get in it. And he goes, mate, something's wrong. Something's happened at home. What's happened at home? And anyway, I just said, mate, I've just had a phone call. This has happened. That's happened. And uh, I was having a few issues uh, on the home front. And I said, how the hell did you pick that up? He goes, because you're overexcited. So if I was overexcited or quiet, that means something, uh, something's uh, amiss with me uh, away from the game and uh, away from the field. So, you know, just knowing, knowing your staff, knowing your, your, your mates, you can help in those situations when there's a, a little bit of fakeness there where they, they're trying to cover it. Right, right. And I think in your situation with, with your coach, with John Buchanan, I think that really was something that set it aside and helped you function the way you need to in that team. And uh, yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, another another great story. I, I really like how this has been very personable. You know, in terms of the stories, you've you've given us a lot of uh, detailed insight into what actually took place behind 
behind the scenes, you know, behind outside of the field. So I think that's another cool thing about this. Um, and uh, yeah. I think, uh, I think it's important to share because it's life stories that can help others. Yeah. And, they truly relate to all different types of, you know, situations. So I think that's the most yeah. important part of them. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think the other thing is like, life I've had, I've had plenty of ups and downs and uh, you know the last year and a half hasn't hasn't been that too hasn't been that uh that bright as mm-hmm. such but you know when you when you're going through life you it's it's like an orgasm mm-hmm. basically <laughs> you know you 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 work your way through so you're having a relationship with with your your girl and you're you're intimate and you know, you have that lead up and then, you know, you're going through the business and all of a sudden, bang, mm-hmm. it's all over. Mm-hmm. All right. The, the, the moment's right. only, the lead ups, lead up might be a half an hour to an hour, yeah. but then all of a sudden it's just two seconds, bang, it's over. Yeah. It's the over. moment that you've been waiting for is over. It's like sport. You win a World Cup, the next day it's over like that. Mm-hmm. And you wake up the next morning, uh, what are we doing now? And yeah. that, that's a bit like when you have success, always plan for the downside afterwards. Um, and that's what a lot of sportsmen don't do. So what I'm saying there is you might have uh, a project that you're doing at work and you get it, or you might have your um, uh, your assignment or your, your exam and you, you get that top grade. And all of a sudden you go, yeah, wham, I've got the top grade. All right. What are you doing in a couple of days' time to move on to your next step? Because if right. you keep living on that high and you keep living on that memory, you'll you'll lose yourself moving forward. So plan for the downside and then get on that next journey for that next um, next bit of success. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's AE podcast. We'll be releasing our part two offer of this podcast next week. Make sure to follow Brad Hogg at Brad underscore Hogg and make sure to follow us at ANA Podcast for more updates. Thank you.